Hello, uh, my name is Mary W. and I'm a compulsive eater. And uh, I see a couple of familiar faces. <laughs> I think I joined um, OA in uh, 1980. And um, I'd say just flipping forward, I haven't had to change the um, size of my pants for a few years. They, I have the same pants. They're actually wearing out because I'm still wearing the same size. And um, I haven't had to throw up for probably 25 years. And uh, I haven't had to melt into... I haven't had to spend three or four hundred dollars of on food in one night binges for quite a while, for I don't know twenty five years. So, what it was like, what happened, what it's like now. Um, I guess my family were uh, high achieving academics on the East Coast, and um, I went to the lab school in Chicago and a, a school before that in Philadelphia that were um, very high achieving and I could never seem to excel well. And um, by the time I moved to Chicago and went to the University of Chicago lab school, I was with friends who would have hysterical uh, crying fits if they got an A minus and I was getting C's and nobody really knew it or understood that I was incredibly dyslexic and had some uh, other learning disorders, but it did start a um, cycle of self-hatred. So I went to a Quaker boarding school in Iowa when I was 12, and uh, my first semester housemate told me that if I if I threw up and and went into the bathroom and stuck my finger down my throat, then I then that would help. Um, me be the same weight size because I was convinced if I was the right weight size, I'd be happy. And um, so I did start doing that. And um, bulimia actually continued with me till 1984. So, um, so, but that was the first time it started, and then it just got worse and worse. And in college i went to a quaker college in indiana i uh, learned that if you um if you smoke dope then maybe you wouldn't want to eat so much of course you really realize that makes you even hungrier and then i also realized that alcohol was another way and maybe i wouldn't have to change my weight size and i always felt like there that movie the movie where there's a really thin girl and she's looking in the mirror and she weighs 400 pounds and is really heavy. So I wasn't in high school, I wasn't really that heavy or college. But as soon as I got kind of after a year of college and started dropped out of school and this and that, um, I started gaining weight. And um, I uh, got through college somehow and started teaching high school in Oakland, art, I'm an art teacher. And um, that got, it got worse and worse. And um, I was trying everything to not eat too much. And I ended up having a car accident 
and going through a windshield because guess what? As an addict, I hadn't put a seatbelt on. So thank God I had an old Volvo and smashed up my head and my leg and this and that. And um, the, the Kaiser doctor, wasn't even Kaiser doctor, but Dr. Steinbeck said, Mary, you have to change your life. And um, so I remember lurking in a OA meeting in like 1979. I was trying to get into graduate school. My life was just disaster. The guy that had um, I'd moved in with in the early 70s had left me. And within three months, he'd married somebody else. So clearly he was seeing that person before. And um, I blamed him. I blamed everybody. I blamed everybody else for what was wrong with me. And um, so in 1980, I went to a little meeting in a, a church basement in, e in East Oakland, up in the hills, like in kind of Montclair. I still remember that room and lurked in the back. Maybe some of the rest of you can tell me the name of it during the share. And um, like I'm not part of this. And, uh, I don't do this, and but I heard what I needed to, and I started going to OA. And um, people immediately said things like, "Gee, Al-Anon would be good for you too." <laughs> and um, so the only thing that I was able to do those first years is to um, I couldn't really figure out a food plan. I'm very tough. I work in an art field that's used a lot of men and um, I'm uh, kind of speak my mind and I couldn't find a, a sponsor. Finally, I found a sponsor, this big, tall guy named Dick. Some of you might have remembered him and he was wonderful. He was also a member of AA. And after four years, I tried this and I still remember one of my students at Oakland High, a little tiny, thin Asian girl said, Mary, I saw you in the car. And I was stuffing cabbage into my mouth because I didn't want to go out on an all night binge. I worked in a studio in West Oakland and buy first I buy the one from the fast food place. Then I buy the other thing, the sweet thing from the fast food place. Then I buy the other thing from another fast food place all night long and then I'd throw it all up and um she said I saw you stuffing cabbage in your mouth and I was like oh god you know my students are seeing what I'm doing and um and then finally Dick said well you know what Mary you haven't thrown up for a couple of years have you and I realized I hadn't and um that was really the start and then he said you know what I think you have to go to AA because this is not enough for you and you're not getting it. You got to go back to the source. And at the time I was growing grass hydroponically for my boyfriend who is married. And um, I was um, also going out and drinking a lot. And because I thought if you drink enough alcohol, then you real. I actually spent a year in Mexico too and learned that alcohol and benzodrine or no, what is it? What is it? Something that you can get over the counter in Mexico that they gave me um, when I got gassed. I mean, I had, you know, I had all these accidents. <laughs> so um, I ended up getting 
uh, Dick said, go to, go to AA. So I went to the Berkeley Fellowship and I'm still going. And um, I went for 90 meetings in 90 days. And during that time, the little house I lived in on by um, off, off Telegraph and 66th Street, the, the uh, landlord told me it was going to be torn down. And by that time, I had four housemates. Some of them were homeless. It was a pretty rough and tough guy pulled a gun on me in the bathroom. It was kind of a rough, tough place that I that I created for myself. My boyfriend had left. Um, and um, so the landlord said, we're tearing down the building. It was right across from the Whitehorse Bar. So I went to meetings in AA and every day I just like, whoa, 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 whoa. the 7 a.m. meeting. And and then I have a little painting that I made of like probably 25 people from OA and AA who helped me move. And then I had all these little rooms. So anyway, I kept going in the program with OA and I joined a um, gray sheet group. So I've done every kind of food plan there is. So the first year you couldn't talk if you had um, not followed your food plan. And then in 85, I got a job teaching at a university, art. And um, I got health insurance. So I was so thrilled. And I went to some special doctor down on the peninsula who did the whole food thing, like what's, you know, what foods you should eat and what foods you shouldn't and the elimination diet. And I tried all kinds of things and I got a food plan. It was like, and at that time I was doing gray sheet. Um, and it was very, very, very strict. There were four women. I'm still in touch with them. And um, they're all quite accomplished. And what, except one who died of heroin in East, in, in Richmond. Um, but we kept together and it was a very, very, very strict group. And that was for about a year. And I learned some disciplines. And what I learned is that it doesn't really matter what your food plan is. It matters what you say you're going to do and what you do. And that's the big deal. And so um, I tried I tried the elimination kinds and all these other kinds of things that were suggested to me by the doctors. And um, the gray sheet worked for a while. And then I ended up um, using, bringing, introducing backs and carbohydrates. But I do have in my food plan some really strict issues, which is no alcohol, no drugs, no sugar, white sugar, no white flour. And um, I think that's kind of the main and, and small portions. And three meals a day, because I never had eaten regularly. So I had, um, the doctor said that I had was pre-diabetic. And because of the bulimia, I had a lot of tooth problems. It destroys all the it helps helps create cavities in your teeth. So um, I probably spent $50,000 on my teeth over the years. I mean, fortunately, I've had some insurance and it's helped. I have like four implants. That was one of the fallouts from all that bulimia. But um, I think the underneath all of this of over, under eating and overeating, what I finally began to realize is that I would eat instead of feel 
I would eat. My family was a no talk, don't don't tell, don't trust family. And there were a lot of not necessarily secrets, secrets, but you just didn't talk about a lot of things. And that um, whenever something came up, I ate. And then I ate some more. And now when I get hungry, I have to say, what am I feeling and what's going on and what's wrong? Because usually if I eat more than my three meals a day, because for my blood sugar, I really need to have regular meals. And um, that's kind of been a good plan. So what happened in the 80s? I, I just followed the plan. It was really slow. Um, I began to realize that some emotional sobriety has a lot to do with eating. And um, I met my partner who I stayed with for 32 years on a blind date that a friend, an old student had, a student had told me about him. And I brought my scale to the restaurant and uh, Wade measured all my food. And he brought his old van to my driveway and it stalled and I had to jumpstart it for it. So we joked that we both kind of started off on the downsized foot. And um, instead of sleeping with everybody in town, because that had been part of what I'd done when I was in the oblivion of, because um, bulimia is bulimia and overeating and undereating and starving and then um, just it's blotting out. It's like disassociation. You disassociate with your body. You disassociate with everything. And so um, I began to look at those things like I didn't really want to just sleep with that guy or this guy or whatever. And I just gotten this job at the school and realized that a lot of the young faculty women members had um, gotten their jobs because they slept with people. And I realized I didn't really want to do that. And that it was a really, really good that I was in the program when I got that job. I mean, to me, the program has brought me so many gifts. Um, when I was about 20, about, uh, let's see how long, 10 years later. So I've been in the program about 10 or 15 years. I, I had some problems with some students in the program and there was a lawsuit and that's the kind of thing that I would have drunk and used and eat, eaten about and I didn't I just walked through it and um five I five minutes remaining decided to leave my job and uh go back to Colorado and take care of my father and make amends and I'd say one of the steps that I did Probably I went up to the ninth step, the eighth step, many, many, many times. I with lots of different sponsors, and I never really did the ninth step until I was about to go to Ireland to teach for a year, and um, at an art school in Dublin. And I got the ninth step with my brother and with my family. And that was really, really, really important because the ninth step is when you do things, when you say you're, you're sorry, but then you admit that you did these things and that you're not going to do them again. It's like taking responsibility because I think I've had a life of 
really kind of gliding by like, oh, it's not really my fault or, oh, they did this to me, you know, the total victim. Um, I highly recommend to go to whatever program works. I've gone to Debtors Anonymous. That's been very helpful. Overeaters. Um, I go to AA and Al-Anon and now I'm going to ACA, but it keeps me the adult children of alcoholics because basically once you, when I have the discipline with my food and with not knowing that I'm not going to do drugs and alcohol, then I can work on the other emotional sobriety. And um, step, the 12th step is like doing it in our life. Like I go to maybe three meetings a week and the rest of it, I'm running a little nonprofit for eco-artist women. And um, I'm working with lots of people who are not in the program, but I'm just in my life trying to do the steps and be part of a right in the middle. I don't want to be out on the edge anymore. I want, and that's where with the food, um, I'm right in the middle with the food. I have my three meals. I cook most of my meals myself. Um, I don't weigh and measure, but I know how much an ounce is because all those years of weighing and measuring. And, and I never, if I go near sugar, and uh, it's not that I never have, but if I know, do, I know there's something wrong and I have to sit down and think, work it out. And I do a lot of exercise. I join do Qigong. Um, I think the body, taking care of my body is really, really important. And my sister is really sick. My partner died. I had to take care of him two years ago during COVID. And uh, my brother died. You know, all these things have happened. So I always thought when I got clean and sober and stopped overeating, everything would be perfect and I'd be a famous, fa fabulous artist and nothing ever would happen wrong in my life. And that's not the way the world works. It's like we have a lot of things happen to us on a regular basis. It's just how we deal with them. And I don't think I'm as much the victim anymore. I don't want to be the victim. I want to just be a useful citizen. I go to my Quaker meeting and serve on committees. So that's what I want to do is to be part of the world. And the 12-step programs give me practice on how to do that. I could never have gone back to make amends to my family. I made amends to my brother before he died. Thank God. Um, and there are a lot of amends to make that I don't think it's like the and the onion. We don't really, we can't see all the things that we did until um, we get really clean and sober. I'm still seeing things. One that minute I, remaining. That are kind of horrifying to me, but I'm going up to take care of my sister who just had open heart surgery in Seattle and I've arranged a house sitter to take care of the birds and the cats. And I'm, you know, I'm kind of being adult about it. I'm going to go back. I don't really want to go, but she needs some help right now. And, um, and I get take my work with me and I'll just, and I won't get mad at her when she tries to boss me around, which is our story of us competing with each other. I'm, I'm very aware we're just going to, and I'm going to go to a meeting probably every day. 
So, so that's it. Thank you.